Part one of an unfinished story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caroline. An unfinished story by Richard Harding Davis. Part one. Mrs. Trevelyan, as she took her seat, shot a quick glance down the length of her table and at the arrangement of her guests and tried to learn if her lord and master approved but he was listening to something lady arbuthnot who sat on his right was saying and being a man failed to catch her meaning and only smiled unconcernedly and cheerfully back at her but the wife of the austrian minister who was her very dearest friend saw and appreciated and gave her a quick little smile over her fan which said that the table was perfect the people most interesting and that she could possess her soul in peace so mrs trevelyan pulled at the tips of her gloves and smiled upon her guests mrs trevelyan was not used to questioning her powers but this dinner had been almost impromptu and she had been in doubt it was quite unnecessary for her dinner carried with it the added virtue of being the last of the season an encore to all that had gone before a special number by request on the social programme it was not one of the many others stretching on for weeks for the summer's change and leisure began on the morrow and there was nothing hanging over her guests that they must go on to later they knew that their luggage stood ready locked and strapped at home they could look before them to the whole summer's pleasure and they were relaxed and ready to be pleased and broke simultaneously into a low murmur of talk and laughter the windows of the dining-room stood open from the floor and from the tiny garden that surrounded the house even in the great mass of stucco and brick of encircling london gave the odour of flowers and of fresh turf a soft summer night wind moved the candles under their red shades and gently as though they rose from afar and not only from across the top of the high wall before the house came the rumble of the omnibuses passing further into the suburbs and the occasional quick rush of a hansom over the smooth asphalt it was a most delightful choice of people gathered at short notice and to do honour to no one in particular but to give each a chance to say good-bye before he or she met the yacht at southampton or took the club train to homburg they all knew each other very well and if there was a guest of the evening it was one of the two americans either miss egerton the girl who was to marry lord arbuthnot whose mother sat on trevelyan's right or young gordon the explorer who has just come out of africa 
miss egerton was a most strikingly beautiful girl with a strong fine face and an earnest interested way when she spoke which the english found most attractive in appearance she had been variously likened by trevelyan who was painting her portrait to a druidess a vestal virgin and a greek goddess and lady arbuthnot's friends who thought to please the girl assured her that no one would ever suppose her to be an american their ideas of the american young woman having been gathered from those who pick out tunes with one finger of the pianos in the public parlours of the metropole miss egerton was said to be intensely interested in her lover's career and was as ambitious for his success in the house as he was himself they were both very much in love and showed it to others as little as people of their class do the others at the table were general sir henry kent phillips the novelist the austrian minister and his young wife and trevelyan who painted portraits for large sums of money and figure-pieces for art and some simply fashionable smart people who were good listeners and who were rather disappointed that the american explorer was not more sunburned than other young men who had stayed at home and who had gone in for tennis or yachting the worst of gordon was that he made it next to impossible for one to lionize him he had been back in civilization and london only two weeks unless cairo and shepherd's hotel are civilization and he had been asked everywhere and for the first week had gone everywhere but whenever his hostess looked for him to present another and not so recent a lion he was generally found either humbly carrying an ice to some neglected dowager or talking big game or international yachting or tailors to a circle of younger sons in the smoking-room just as though several hundred attractive and distinguished people were not waiting to fling the speeches they had prepared on africa at him in the drawing-room above he had suddenly disappeared during the second week of his stay in london which was also the last week of the london season and managers of lecture tours and publishers and lion hunters and even friends who cared for him for himself had failed to find him at his lodgings trevelyan who had known him when he was a travelling correspondent and artist for one of the great weeklies had found him at the club the night before and asked him to his wife's impromptu dinner from which he had at first begged off but on learning who was to be there had changed his mind and accepted mrs trevelyan was very glad he had come she had always spoken of him as a nice boy and now that he had become famous she liked him none the less but did not show it before people as much as she had been used to she forgot to ask him whether he knew his beautiful compatriot or not but she took it for granted that they had met if not at home at least in london as they both had been made so much of and at the same houses the dinner was well on its way towards its end and the women had begun to talk across the table and to exchange bankers addresses and to say be sure to look us up in paris and 
when do you expect to sail from cows they were enlivened and interested and the present odours of the food and flowers and wine and the sense of leisure before them made it seem almost a pity that such a well-suited gathering should have to separate for even a summer's pleasure the austrian minister was saying this to his hostess when sir henry kent who had been talking across to phillips the novelist leaned back in his place and said as though to challenge the attention of every one i can't agree with you phillips i am sure no one else will dear me complained mrs trevelyan plaintively what have you been saying now mr phillips he always has such debatable theories she explained on the contrary mrs trevelyan answered the novelist it is the other way it is sir henry who is making all the trouble he is attacking one of the oldest and dearest platitudes i know he paused for the general to speak but the older man nodded his head for him to go on he has just said that fiction is stranger than truth continued the novelist he says that i that people who write could never interest people who read if they wrote of things as they really are they select he says they take the critical moment in a man's life and the crisis and want others to believe that this is what happens every day which it is not so the general says he thinks that life is commonplace and uneventful that is uneventful in a picturesque or dramatic way he admits that women's lives are saved from drowning but that they are not saved by their lovers but by a longshoreman with a wife and six children who accepts five pounds for doing it that's it is it not he asked the general nodded and smiled what i said to phillips was he explained that if things were related just as they happen they would not be interesting people do not say the dramatic things they say on the stage or in novels in real life they are commonplace or sordid or disappointing i have seen men die on the battlefield for instance and they never cried i die that my country may live or i have got my promotion at last they just stared up at the surgeon and said have i got to lose that arm or i am killed i think you see when men are dying around you and horses are plunging and the batteries are firing one doesn't have time to think up the appropriate remark for the occasion i don't believe now that pitt's last words were roll up the map of europe a man who could change the face of a continent would not use his dying breath in making epigrams it was one of his secretaries or one of the doctors who said that and the man who was capable of writing home all is lost but honour was just the sort of a man who would lose more battles than he would win no you phillips said the general raising his voice as he became more confident and conscious that he beheld the centre of the stage and you trevelyan 
don't write and paint everyday things as they are you introduce something for a contrast or for an effect a red coat in a landscape for the bit of colour you want when in real life the red coat would not be within miles or you have a brand of music playing a popular air in the street when a murder is going on inside the house you do it because it is effective but it isn't true now mr caithness was telling us the other night at the club on this very matter oh that's hardly fair laughed trevelyan you've rehearsed all this before you've come prepared no not at all frowned the general sweeping on he said that before he was raised to the bench when he practised criminal law he had brought word to a man that he was to be reprieved and to another that he was to die now you know exclaimed the general with a shrug and appealing to the table how that would be done on the stage or in a novel with the prisoner bound ready for execution and a galloping horse and a fluttering piece of white paper and all that well now caithness told us that he went into the man's cell and said you have been reprieved john or william or whatever the fellow's name was and the man looked at him and said is that so that's good that's good and that was all he said and then again he told one man whose life he had tried very hard to save the home secretary has refused to intercede for you i saw him at his house last night at nine o'clock and the murderer instead of saying my god what will my wife and children do looked at him and repeated at nine o'clock last night just as though that were the important part of the message well but general said phillips smiling that's dramatic enough as it is i think why yes interrupted the general quickly and triumphantly but that is not what you would have made him say is it that's my point there was a man told me once lord arbuthnot began leisurely he was a great chum of mine and it illustrates what sir henry has said i think he was engaged to a girl and he had a misunderstanding or an understanding with her that opened both their eyes at a dance and the next afternoon he called and they talked it over in the drawing-room with the tea-tray between them and agreed to end it on the stage he would have risen and said well the comedy is over the tragedy begins or the curtain falls and she would have gone to the piano and played chopin sadly while he made his exit instead of which he got up to go without saying anything and as he rose he upset a cup and saucer on the tea-table and said oh i beg your pardon and she said it isn't broken and he went out you see the young man added smiling there were two young people whose hearts were breaking and yet they talked of teacups not because they did not feel but because custom is too strong on us and too much for us we do not say dramatic things or do theatrical ones it does not make interesting reading but it is the truth exactly 
cut in the austrian minister eagerly and then there is the prerogative of the author and of the playwright to drop a curtain whenever he wants or to put a stop to everything by ending the chapter that isn't fair that is an advantage over nature when someone accuses someone else of doing something dreadful at the play down comes the curtain quick and keeps things at a fever point or the chapter ends with a lot of stars and the next page begins with a description of a sunset two weeks later to be true we ought to be told what the man who is accused said in the reply or what happened during those two weeks before the sunset the author really has no right to choose only the critical moments and to shut out the commonplace everyday life by a sort of literary closure that is if he claims to tell the truth phillips raised his eyebrows and looked carefully round the table does anyone else feel called upon to testify he asked it's awful isn't it phillips laughed trevelyan comfortably to find that the photographer is the only artist after all i feel very guilty you ought to pronounced the general gaily he was very well satisfied with himself at having held his own against these clever people and i am sure mr gordon will agree with me too he went on confidently with a bow towards the younger man he has seen more of the world than any of us and he will tell you i am sure that what happens only suggests the story it is not complete in itself that it always needs the author's touch just as the rough diamond oh thanks thanks general laughed phillips my feelings are not hurt as badly as that gordon had been turning the stem of a wine-glass slowly between his thumb and his finger while the others were talking and looking down at it smiling now he raised his eyes as though he meant to speak and then dropped them again i am afraid sir henry that i don't agree with you at all those who had said nothing felt a certain satisfaction that they had not committed themselves the austrian minister tried to remember what it was he had said and whether it was too late to retreat and the general looked blankly at gordon and said indeed i shouldn't have called on that last witness sir henry said phillips smiling your case was very good as it was i am quite sure said gordon seriously that the story phillips will never write is a true story but he will not write it because people would say it is impossible just as you have all seen sunsets sometimes that you knew would be laughed at if any one tried to paint them we all know such a story something in our own lives or in the lives of our friends not ghost stories or stories of adventure but of ambitions that have come to nothing of people who were rewarded or punished in this world instead of in the next and love stories phillips looked at the young man keenly and smiled especially love stories he said 
Gordon looked back at him as if he did not understand. "'Tell it, Gordon,' said Mr. Trevelyan. "'Yes,' said Gordon, nodding his head in assent. "'I was thinking of a particular story. "'It is as complete, I think, and as dramatic as any one of those we read. "'It is about a man I met in Africa. "'It is not a long story.' he said, looking around the table tentatively, but it ends badly. There was a silence much more appreciated than a polite murmur of invitation would have been, and the simply smart people settled themselves rigidly to catch every word for future use. They realized that this would be a story which had not as yet appeared in the newspapers, and which would not make a part of Gordon's book. Mrs. Trevelyan smiled encouragingly upon her former protégé. She was sure he was going to do himself credit, but the American girl chose this chance, when all the other eyes were turned expectantly towards the explorer, to look at her lover. End of part one